when I was a kid, my mom would say, all right, let's get ready for church. We don't want to be late. And I remember my mom saying that every Sunday morning. And for her, credit to her, mom of four, and she was able to get all of us out of the house by herself and wait for it. And we usually arrived early. For some reason, my dad, um, when I was real young, he stopped attending church. And whatever the reason that he had, he, he stopped attending. So that was in Pennsylvania during the school year. And then during the summers, I was down here in Hartwood with my grandparents, with my dad's parents. And they would ask the same question. They would tell me the same thing. Hey, are you up and ready for church? Are you up and ready for church? And it's interesting because every Sunday we went to church. That's where we found ourselves. We were in church. And we went to one of those churches where not only did you go Sunday, but you were there Sunday morning for like three hours. And then you hit up the buffet and then you took a long nap, and then you were back Sunday night, and then Wednesday night, and then if there was a revival or a mission conference, you were there every night of the week. Now, here's the crazy part. I really liked it. I really like going to church. I know that's really weird, but there's three reasons why I like going to church. Number one, for my friends. The friends that I hung out with, they really prevented me from doing things that would have got me in trouble. So I liked hanging out with my friends. My friends at church, really different. I, I like being around them. Number two, I was curious, and I'm still a curious person. I liked learning about God, and I like learning new things. And number three, basketball. We had a gym at the church where my parents attended after my dad became a Christian. And so that all drew me in. And then in college, you know the big draw? Jenny. Jenny was the big draw in college. We attended church together. Like Church has always been a good thing for me. And throughout my life, church has been the place where I've made big decisions for God. Because when I was in that room, man, something happened in my soul. Like something was going on that, man, I wanted to make a decision for God. God was definitely at church. Now, when we think about going to church, sometimes we think that's where God is. All right? uh, going to church was a lot like going to the temple. And so what I want to do is go back in time. Saturday mornings, Jewish moms and dads would tell their kids, hey, let's get ready to go to the temple because that's God's house. And so let's, let's sort of see the history of how the temple became God's house. Israel was of this large people group, and they were in Egypt, and they were in slavery. They cried out to God to rescue them, and God, he provides them a leader that's going to get them out of slavery and that was Moses and so God delivers his people through Moses and then he sets up this brand new community of people with a brand new set of rules that are going to govern them and God had these commandments and 10 of these commandments represent the heart of God and these 10 commandments they represent the heart of God one of them says you should not murder why not well growing up in Egypt life had no value Especially if you were a Jew, you had no value. Instead, God values human life because humanity is created in his image, which means that you are born with inherent worth and value. Now, I'm not going to offend our cat lovers. I typically offend you guys, and I won't do that. But I'm a dog person, and I love dogs. I do. All dogs go to heaven, right? There's no movie like that with cats. Now, here's the deal. Your prized dog might have a lot of value, but any baby born, with, even with any defect, 
maybe Down syndrome, cancer, a disease, has more inherent value than our prized dog. Human life matters. Why? That's why God says you shouldn't murder. Now, all these commandments, man, it was like God gave these words for people to live by. And these commandments, it was like God's thumbprint on their heart. And these commandments were written on stone tablets and then later placed in what was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I know we have some Indiana Jones fans. And if you've ever seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You get too close and you open the Ark of the Covenant, you know, you might melt your face off. But as they placed these stone tablets in the law in the Ark, with the law in the Ark, it was like God being put in the Ark. So during the day, the ark would be carried off and all of Israel would sort of follow it because they were getting close to God. It was a big deal. Then at night, they would pitch their tents, but they would also pitch a tent for the ark. It was like they were making a shelter for God. Fast forward, Israel becomes a nation. They have borders and they have king and they have two kings, Saul and David. They both reigned for about 40 years. But David... He's kind of looking at his palace thinking, man, I'm living pretty great here. And then he looks out and he sees the, the, the ark and it's covered up in a tent. And he's thinking, look, if I have a house, God should have a house. And so David says to God, God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you this temple. And God says, thank you, but no thank you. You've killed way too many people. There's too much blood on your hands. Let's have your son do it. And so Solomon was chosen to build the temple. And he must have been an overachiever because he built something so spectacular that world leaders would come and check out because it was so amazing. The temple became the epicenter of all Jewish practice. And imagine Jewish moms and dads getting their kids ready on Sunday or Saturday morning and saying, hey, it's time to get ready to go to God's house. And at the temple, that was a big deal. But it was even a bigger deal to be in the temple. Did you know that only one person was able to go where God was in the most inner part of the temple? And that was the high priest. Now, notice how the author of Hebrews writes about this years after the resurrection. He says, hey, you remember that first covenant, the Old Testament between God and Israel and regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth? Do you know there were two rooms in that tabernacle? Remember, the tabernacle was the thing before the temple. In the first room, there was a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. So we're getting closer to the middle, right, where God is. And then there was a curtain. This curtain was about four inches thick. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. Hey, that was where God was. And in that room, there was a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark was a gold jar containing manna. Remember how God provided manna each morning in the wilderness? And then Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves. Remember Aaron was the first high priest. He was the first priest. And then the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement. He says, but we cannot explain these things in detail now. He says, there's so many details. We don't have enough room and time to get into them. But the big idea of the ark is that it was a specific thing built for a specific purpose. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place. 
where God lived. And he only did it once a year. He always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Whether it was the temple or the tabernacle, it was a big deal for the Jewish people. And the temple, that's where God lived. It was God's house. And that's where you went to visit him on Saturdays, on the Shabbat or Sabbath. And then once a year, the high priest would actually talk to God on your behalf. He would go in with the sacrifice and he would present this sacrifice to cover your sins, sins that you knew you committed and sins you didn't know that you would commit. Just make sure that you're safe for that year. So let's fast forward a little bit. Jesus enters the scene. And the temple is even a bigger deal than it was at Solomon's time because it was destroyed and then it was rebuilt. The temple is everything, right, in the Jewish community. And Jesus, he's Jewish, he's a Jewish teacher. I mean, he should probably respect the temple, right? Notice what he says. We find him flipping over tables in the temple and everyone's sort of going berserk because he's frustrated that they're using it for profit. He flipped it upside down. The reason why is because they were using it for profit. And he says, guys, guys, this isn't the way. I'm the way to God. Not the temple, not the high priest, not the holy of holies, not the ark. None of that gets you to God, but I get you to God. Now, imagine how crazy this was to a Jewish person. I mean, no Jewish person would even attempt to say this. Jesus didn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through the tabernacle, through the temple, through the, the high priest. He says, no, no one comes to the Father except through me. Like if you're a Jewish person 2,000 years ago, this was scandalous. This was a scandal. To hear it would have blown your mind. This was crazy. I mean, everybody knows that God is in the temple. And if you want access to God, you go to the high priest. And he's the one that gets you all covered for that year. That relationship with God is okay for a year because God forgave your sins. That's how it worked. And that's how it worked for a long time. And Jesus is like, God's changing things. God set all that up. You're right. He set all that up. But he set all that up because of, of me. All of that stuff that you were doing with the high priest and visiting God. That was pointing to me. He says that was pointing to me. God is doing something different. He's doing it through me because I'm about to be the atoning sacrifice once and for all. I'm about to shed my blood for you, for your forgiveness. So Jesus, as he's crucified, he prays for the people who hung him there. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. See, isn't that a very priestly thing to do? He's praying on the behalf of people. Just like the high priest is, he would enter once a year. And at the very end, right before he dies, Jesus does this incredible dramatic thing. uh, This incredible thing happens at the temple. Matthew records it. At that moment when he died, the curtain, remember that four-inch thick curtain from top to bottom, where only, it would divide you and God, where only the high priest could go, it was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't like a shower curtain, right? One of those vinyl cheap shower curtains got tear in two. No, no, this curtain is four inches thick. And notice 
that it ripped from top to bottom. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. It was designed to keep you out and God in. It was designed that you wouldn't accidentally step through. It was only designed to separate you from God. And all of a sudden now that is torn. And at that moment that Jesus dies, the curtain rips in two, showing us that God is no longer confined to the ark. He's no longer confined to the temple. The high priest is now not the only one able to connect with God. See, you get to because of what Jesus did for you. So decades later, as Jews and Gentiles are becoming followers of Jesus, Paul helps them understand why the church is so much better than the temple. Imagine sitting around the house or the synagogue and you're listening to this letter being read by your pastor. And everyone's super jazzed because you're getting it from Paul. He's sounding like this amazing communicator, this amazing leader, and you're getting this letter and your pastor begins to read it. And then you begin to look around around, around those around you. You see, you, see, you see George the Gentile. And George the Gentile, he was never allowed to go in the temple. He was allowed in the entryway, but he was not allowed in because he wasn't a Jew. And then you got Julie the Jew. And she remembers what it was like growing up as a kid. She remembers once a year standing in that long line. It was so smelly with all the animals people were carrying hoping to have their sins forgiven for a year. Hmm. She's waiting. Is the priest going to make it out? God's going to forgive us for a year. She remembers what it was like waiting on pins and needles. And everyone's quiet. And the pastor begins to read this. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the demarcation stone of the rest of the foundation where the house is built on. Cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. Paul writes that we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Guys, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are joined together, Jews and Gentiles, and we are being built into a new temple by God. When we believe in his death and resurrection, God's Spirit indwells us. A people, not a building, is being built into the new temple of God. Like I think for some of us, man, we've fallen back into the whole temple thinking that God lives at church. Like on Sunday, I go to church, I sing. I learn about him. Then on Monday, I go to work. And on Tuesday, I like I'm in a golf league. And then Wednesday, this. And Thursday, that. And back to Sunday. Thankfully, that's not how this works anymore. It worked like that thousands of years ago. But after Jesus' resurrection, it changed everything. Guys, don't miss this. Le- le- lean in for a second. Our faith is not based on a sacred space. It's based on a sacred relationship a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. And so for us, what does that mean? It means that we don't go to church. It means that we are the church. The church is a people. It's you. It's me. Whether we meet outside when it's 90 degrees and we're melting and we're using umbrellas to cool us off, keep us from the sun, 
We meet on the front porch on a Monday night or we gather in houses through the week. Gathering together is how God designed it for us. Guys, don't miss this. The church isn't a destination, but it's a group of people you take the trip with. If you're a follower of Jesus, man, it's a great time to evaluate your commitment to church and gathering together as the church. Like, I understand that everything with COVID, it, it was unfair, and a lot of decisions were made for us, so we didn't get a lot of say in a lot of things. But man, we finally do. And look, I know some of you here are watching and listening. You started out watching, listening at 1030. And then after a couple months, it got to on demand. And now it got to you don't do anything. And can I tell you, please stop. I just, let me ask you something. Please stop using COVID as an excuse. Man, some of y'all on social media, y'all everywhere. Please please consider reevaluating your commitment to the church and gathering together as the church. Look, if you're a follower, yet a follower of Jesus, allow me to share this part with you if that, that's okay. When Jesus said that he is the way, he really meant that, that he was the way. He is the only way to God. If you want a relationship with God, he, he said that he's the only way and he meant it, that he is the only way. I know some of you have, have tried different things. You've tried things to give you peace or give you joy or try to get you in, in some type of right relationship with God. And so you've bartered things and everything has left you empty. Everything has crumbled. And maybe that's why you're listening. Maybe that's why you're here. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. Jesus is truth. And the truth is, you're, you're not good enough on your own. And that's okay because God loves you anyway. Instead of being forced outside of the temple because you're not good enough or because you're not a Jew, Jesus, when you believe in him, he gives you access to God 24-7. And it starts with believing that he died for you. He rose again to defeat the power of sin and death over you. So if you have any questions of what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus, then we were ready to help you with those. Whether you ask the person who's hosting this morning or whether you find us at southridge.us slash Jesus, we're here to help you. We want you to take that next step because there's nothing better than following Jesus. We believe that Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word. Thank you for all the things that we're learning. Thank you that the church is so much better than the, temp the temple. Thank you that it's a group of people that are doing life together, that are on this trip together. Uh, thank you so much that this isn't about a sacred space, but this is about a sacred relationship. Thank you so much for the people who stayed committed. I ask that you bless them. I ask that you will encourage them i ask that you will continue to increase their faith in you their trust their dependence on you and father for those who are kind of using the COVID as an excuse to get re-plugged in and recommitted to church god i ask that you would help them to see that they're missing out on so much god we love you we thank you for building something better 
with Jesus. So help us to stay engaged in the local church. In Jesus' name, amen.